Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this time of worship. Lord, we're just grateful for this uh, time that we get to spend with you, where we get to celebrate lives being changed, where we get to celebrate your death and your resurrection. And Lord, I pray that uh, you are glorified today, uh, glorified in our song, glorified in our words. And, and Lord, I pray as we turn to the word right now, I pray that you are ultimately glorified by the reading and the meditating and the teaching of your word today. Illuminate it so that we would all come out of here with a deeper knowledge of you and fall deeper in love with you. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts now for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good to see you. Sometimes, you know, Scottsdale Bible Church feels like a big church, and then sometimes Scottsdale Bible feels like a little church in the sense that, you know, I get to do the baptisms, and today is the day I get to preach, and later on, if any of you want to get married, I'm willing to do a wedding today, and we'll make it the pastor trifecta. So, <laughs> anybody out there looking to get, okay. Um, it is good to be back. I, I don't, some of you may, might have known that I wasn't here last Sunday. Uh, Pete preached, and I heard he did a pretty good job. Is that true? Because it was just Pete told me he did a really good job, and so I had to take him for his word. So it's so great to have guys like that here, and he's a, he's a blessing to me, and um, I have such a great team and a great staff that is able to take things on when I'm not here. And so I, I managed, it, it's, it's truly was blessed. I got to go to Israel. I went to Israel with uh, Pastor Jamie and about 90 of our closest friends, and you can imagine trying to shoo 90 people through the Holy Land on two buses, and it was uh, uh, quite a bit of work, and that was just Jamie trying to shoo Jamie around, so somebody got that. But, but it was good to do that. It was good to be back. However, though, I'm a little bit jet-laggy, so I'm not 100% sure what will come out of my mouth, but I knew the Lord would inspire me, because, you know, there, there's a passage in the book of John where the... Uh, Apostle Thomas, who got that famous name, Doubting Thomas, and I, I think that's the worst thing that we call him doubting. He just hadn't seen yet, and so yet he is with Jesus, and he says, I, I can't believe until I see these marks, and Jesus says, here, here I am, here are these marks, and, and Jesus says, you know, you have seen and you believe, but blessed are those who don't see and yet will believe, and so I didn't need to go to the Holy Lands in order to believe. I already believed before I got there, but I'll tell you what, it sure was nice to go there and see the stones and see the, 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 the Beatitudes preaching area and go across the Sea of Galilee, and, and I'll share more with you. I knew it was so cool because I, I, I'd come home knowing that I get to teach for Palm Sunday, I get to teach for Good Friday coming up here uh, on Friday, and as well as the sunrise service of Easter, and so I knew the Lord would say, Rick, I am going to blow your socks off uh, with what you're going to see here, and so hopefully that comes out a little bit today. And so here we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's kind of the, the beginning of the Holy Week, and it takes extra, extra meaning to me now because it talks about in Scripture how Jesus and his disciples met up on the Mount of Olives, which we were on the Mount of Olives, and then it said he went down across the Kebron Valley, and sure enough, we walked this path that he walked. Now, now let me clarify some things. Is, is, were we in the exact steps? I don't know, but one thing's for sure, I know we were in the same zip code, okay? And so we go across that valley, and it says, and you'll see the city of David off to your left, and oh, by golly, there's the city of David off to our left, and then up the steps into the temple, and it's like, 
those are some steps leading up to a temple and we get all excited. And so it just had a little extra meaning for me coming back and being able to share that with you today. But Palm Sunday, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you, but have you ever had a situation where kind of your emotions take over you and all of a sudden reason starts to collide with your emotions and you kind of thought, uh, what do I do? Do I follow what I'm feeling or do I follow what I know? And that happens to me every time I go to a restaurant and the waitress says, would you like fries with that or would you like a salad with that? I'll tell you what, they've got sweet potato fries now. I don't know if you know that. You can get shoestring fries, you can get waffle fries, you can get steak cut fries. I love French fries. And so at that moment, I'm faced where where emotion is colliding with my reason because at my old age now, it says you can't keep ingesting french fries like you once did um, or else the trifecta will be rick's funeral this afternoon and so that's sad but it's okay i I know where i'm going Um, so so i'm faced with this decision and 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 when i think about palm sunday i think about jesus facing the same thing and we're going to read about this a little bit where we get to see the humanity of Jesus to where perhaps maybe we can identify just ever so slightly with him when emotion collides with reason, with, with what we're feeling doesn't quite match up with what we know. And so here's the setting. As Carson read earlier, I'm going to read for you um, the account of when Jesus arrives into town here. And so Mark chapter 11, it says, And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna means hooray. Literally hooray. It means the Savior is here. The Savior has come. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the big Lord. That, is, that means God himself. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna again in the highest. This is what these people are screaming at him. And so I'm imagining here's Jesus and, and then they started throwing down palm leaves, right? That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They threw down their cloaks, their jackets. It was almost like maybe Russell Crowe and the red carpet being laid out, and he's coming in for the movie premiere, and everybody's looking at him. The cameras are going off. People are cheering and screaming and yelling, Hosanna, Russell Crowe, you're the greatest. It wasn't Russell Crowe, but it was Jesus. And so I'm thinking in his mind, I try to put myself in his shoes, and I go, what was he thinking at that moment? You know, In six days, probably some of those same people are going to utter these words, crucify him, crucify him. No, don't free Barabbas. We want Jesus. Crucify him. And so we have these emotions that Jesus must be feeling, which I try to put myself in his shoes. And then what would Rick do in that scenario? Well, Rick likes it when people clap. Rick likes it when there's cameras going off. Rick likes all this stuff. And I'm thinking, if I got onto that donkey, I would be saying, yes, you're right. I am the man, and we're going to take over things right now. Because at this point in time, just to give you a little bit more of the backstory, the Jews were thinking that this Jesus was going to be their political king, their military king, the guy who was going to wipe out the bad guys, sit on the throne in the temple, and reign. And they would have everything they ever thought that they wanted. Yet God knew at that moment, Jesus knew while riding on that donkey, there's so much more work to be done over the next few days. And it's not about me, but it's about my Father in heaven. And we're going to read about what happens just four days later from this moment where Jesus has entered into the city. Now maybe to create a little bit more tension for you, 
Because I've created some tension for me when it comes to french fries and salad. Let's say you've got a marriage that you've been married for a while and the marriage has kind of gotten a little stale. And culture is telling you, hey, you know what, there are other people out there, you're really supposed to be happy. And so rather than do the hard work to invest back into that marriage, which you stood before somebody and said, I pledge to be with this person till death do our part, death do our part. So our emotions, our feelings are saying, well, maybe that doesn't apply anymore. But in your head, the reasoning and the truth says, no, I made a commitment to this person. And so you've bought this lie that we've fallen out of love and I just decided I'm not going to do the hard work it takes to fall back into love. Or perhaps you're a student. I know we have some students here today and I know this would never happen to you. You have a big test that's coming up here in a couple weeks and you kind of put it off, put it off, put it off because your emotion's saying I got way too much other stuff to do and I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And then at the last moment you realize, oh my goodness, I have nothing left to put forth and now I have this terrible tension inside of me. What am I going to do? And maybe it causes you to maybe not think clearly and you, you lean on your emotions and you create something that maybe helps you during that test when you need it most. Or maybe it's in the quiet of a hotel room. You're on a business trip and uh, mostly it's men that this happens to where all of a sudden there's the ability to watch certain TV shows that let's just say you wouldn't normally let your kids watch. Or maybe you have a laptop that's available to you and you begin to uh, want to uh, satisfy yourself. As opposed to doing the hard work at that moment and you have this tension and doing the hard work of doing what's right, seeking after what's pure, what's lovely. Those are tensions that we all feel and when tension or emotion collides with reason, what are you going to do? What are you going to lean on? Well, what's so great about this passage today is that Jesus shows us exactly what to do in this situation. Because as we're going to see in just a moment, we see a glimpse of Jesus' humanity to where you can identify with him and he can identify with you for just a moment. And so the good news is in the rest of the story where we read just four days later when we almost see the, the pinnacle of emotion that's colliding with reason for Jesus. And we see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, as I was journeying down the Mount of Olives and we came down this, this path they call the Via de Rosa, I come across this garden. And that's an actual picture. Don't ask me to pronounce Roma. Uh, I know that says Gethsemane, although it's in a Latin form of language. And that on the right is a garden that they call the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means literally the olive press, so it would make sense there would be olive trees in this garden. What I learned and was fascinated with is an olive press is this big stone, almost about the size of this baptistry, and what it does is it crushes olives until oil comes out, and it was this tough picture to watch, thinking about Jesus would be in that garden where the weight of the world, the weight of our sin would be pressing down so much on him that what would come out of him would be not just sweat but blood. And so there was this dichotomy of we're in this olive press and a human press in the same place. Now whether this was the actual garden, I don't know. But those trees, another fascinating thing I learned is that the DNA of a 
Olive tree is not where you cut it and you see rings. They have to do some other things to it. But these trees date back over 2,000 years old. So I don't know if it's the place, but again, it was the right zip code. And we were able to sit in that garden and we were able to pray. And so I want to read for you the account of when Jesus entered that garden as a human, but also as God. So I'm going to read with you from Mark chapter 14. So if you want to open up your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 14. If not, I have it on the screen here. And I'm going to read this account of this time in the garden where I believe the emotions were colliding with reason, where what you're feeling was colliding with what you know. In verse 32 it says, And they, Jesus and a couple of disciples you'll read about here in a second, went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. In other accounts of this story, you hear him say those words again, if there's some way for this cup to pass from me. But again, God said, not your will, but my will. And again, he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And we'll unpack the rest of this story throughout this week as we celebrate this holy week. But in that passage, only two thoughts. Well, there's more thoughts, but there's two thoughts I want you to take away with today that jump out at me. I find it's too hard to give you ten points because you won't remember ten points, but two points is manageable. And so the two points I want you to take away with are this. The first one, Jesus prayed. It says right at the very beginning of that, it says, and they went to this place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. At the height of emotion, the height of tension in his life, he stopped what he was doing, and he prayed. And I often ask myself, how often is that my first response when I'm facing anger, or I'm facing sadness, or I'm facing frustration, or, or no peace in my life. How, is it, how, how often is my first reaction to stop, sit, and pray? Or am I more like Peter that we'll read about later who lops off a guard's ear, emotion and reason colliding? Or Jonah when he's told to go to Nineveh, Nineveh is a tough place, and he decides to go in the exact opposite direction reason and emotion that are colliding 
Or perhaps you're like me when preparing for this sermon. You know, I spent eight days over there uh, in Israel, and, and I, I didn't write much other than the notes of where we were at. But in the back of my mind, I knew I had kind of three messages I needed to come up with, and I kept thinking, oh, God, you're going to give me this. It's going to be the light's going to shine, and you're going to just lay the words down there, and tablets are going to, Moses is going to bring down the tablets to you and deliver you this message. Well, it didn't quite happen that way, so I knew there was some point in time where I had to do some work. And my immediate response was not to sit and pray. My immediate response was to try and come up with some witty story about maybe my kids throwing up on me when I was three years old to try and get you laughing and tell this story. And I said, no, I'm going to sit and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to read this story and I'm going to try to make sense of it with what I have just seen so that I can present to these people a message that means something. And so I sat and I prayed. But not often, that is my first response. And so I had to ask myself, why is, it, uh, why is there something about praying? And I began to think, there's something about praying that brings clarity. It stops, it kind of lets the emotions settle for a moment. It allows me to maybe get honest with my emotions as we read about Jesus. Jesus was very human-filled when he said, I'm sorrowful. I'm distressed. I'm feeling all these emotions. And he was laying it out there for his father. So it allows me a time in order to get honest with my emotions. I'm also able to confess my weaknesses at this moment. Confess my weaknesses and seek help from God. And more importantly, it's a place and time which I'm able to begin to discern God's will to me. Where he speaks to me. Where we're reminded of the truth. Well, why is that important at that point in time of emotions colliding with reason? Well, it's not a time to go rogue. It's not a time to then respond or react to your emotions. In verse 38, Jesus reminds the disciples, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He goes on to say the spirit, that's the human spirit, is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. It's kind of that motion where your head knows the right decision, but your heart maybe doesn't because of this stress that you're under. He tells him not to lead yourself into temptation. That's why you pray. And I think sometimes we end up going off and seeking after that emotion and trying to fix it at that moment without stopping. And that's when the trouble occurs. That's where you end up in the place that you never thought you'd end up in. That's where you end up saying the words that you never intended to say. And so praying allows you to not fall into temptation. And this is where we get into trouble, like I said. It's maybe that tub of ice cream when no one's home for me. Or perhaps it's a bottle that you go to when you're stressed, or maybe it's cheating on a test, or like I mentioned earlier, viewing images and videos that ultimately destroys relationships. And it was at that moment where Jesus lays out his temptations when he says, is there any way for this to happen without the way it's supposed to happen? Is there any way for this cup to be passed from me? And he's immediately reminded through prayer and God answers by reminding him that it's not his will, but God's will. So the second point after we pray and the reason we pray is it leads us to what we know. It leads us to leaning on the truth. 
you know, Tom Schrader is a great pastor in town here who you've heard speak. He's a friend of mine. And he said this line that has stuck with me um, for a long time. And he says, what you know trumps what you feel. And I use that line so many times as I meet with people throughout the week. They come to me and lay their, their situation before me. And in one sense, they're maybe trying to get me to side with them or to justify what's going on. And it's very simple. I say, you kind of know what to do here, right? And it reminds them. It pulls them back. I say, you know what to do. Right now, you don't feel like it, but you know what you're to do. So what you know trumps what you feel. As I said, it's where we get this glimpse of the humanity of Jesus and that he's asking that question, is there another way for this to happen? And I'm not sure he's fearful of what he knows is about to happen with regards to everything we read about. I'm not sure he's absolutely fearful of going to his death. I think what he is fearful of and what we'll talk about on Good Friday and we'll spend a little bit of time discussing these words when he cries out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? My God. You know, Jesus and God were in the beginning together. They had this perfect relationship. Yet for a moment of time as the weight of the world, as the sin was being placed upon Jesus, God could not be in the presence of that sin. And so, God had to turn his back for just a moment in time in order to let that happen. And I think more so than the beatings, the scourgings, the whippings, the insults, that literally hanging on a cross, I'm not sure that's what he was so fearful of. I think what he was fearful of most was being separated from his father for just a moment in time. And I think that's what he was pleading to his father. If there was some other way for this to happen, please, please do that. He's expressing his sorrow, his, his distress, his troubledness all the way to this point of death as Gethsemane, the olive press, is pressing down on him. But at that moment in time, he receives the truth and he's reminded of the truth. He reminds himself of what was written back in Genesis chapter 3 when it said the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the promise. And we're seeing it fulfilled at this moment. And so Jesus simply says these words after he realizes it is not going to pass another way but other than through him. He says the hour has come. So he begins to take those next steps in faith all the way to being obedient to death on a cross. So what do we take away from this message, this Palm Sunday message of when emotions are colliding with reason, with what we feel doesn't necessarily match up with what we know? What do we do? And so my simple takeaways for you today is that you sit and you pray. You sit and you pray. And you do that so that you might uncover the truth again and be reminded of the truth. You know, I, I don't get the opportunity to speak other than announcements most Sundays and leading in communion. And so this is, this is not a, a routine that I have established as far as preaching each Sunday. And so for about 24 hours before I preach, 
I feel there's this, this major spiritual battle that comes over me and it just says, you are worthless, you shouldn't be up there, these people are not going to laugh at you, they don't like you, you know, they won't even show up, you know, you are nothing. And I, I almost feel physically ill over that and, and, and it, just, it just happens every single time and it happened today. And so I'm driving just mile and a half from my house to this place, and, and I pray a lot during that mile and a half. It's, it's a quick prayer, but, but I still pray. And, and I said, Lord, you know, once again, I feel fairly inadequate in what I'm doing. And I said, you know, if there's any way for this cup to pass, you know, let it happen. You know, hey, Pete, you're going to pray, or you're gonna have to preach. I'm, I'm too nervous or what have you. And it was, it was just amazing how I said, no, I'm just going to stop and pray. And so I, I didn't actually stop because if I stopped, I would have been in the middle of 32nd Street and it could have caused an accident. But I said, no, I'm going to pray. And so I prayed. I said, Lord, it's just you and me today. You know I've experienced something in Israel. You know I know this work and I want to share it with these people. I want them to have them something to take away. And it, immediately this verse comes to mind from Roman 10. It just says, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. And that's how God spoke to me this morning in my distress, in my turmoil, in my trouble. And so that's my assurance to you as Christians that in that time of trouble, you have this great opportunity to lean on that truth. Now, to give you even more encouragement, I did a quick little study on a bunch of promises, a bunch of truths that we can find in Scripture. And I'm going to give you a homework lesson here in just a second. But if you look up on the screen, I just took a few. I just looked up a few. And you'll see up here a corresponding verse. And, and you can write this down. We can give it to you later. Or just this is going to be your homework. Is, for example, I said if you're upset or sad, I found this passage in John chapter 14 that says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I promise to give you this Holy Spirit, this comforter. When you're weak, Psalm 18 has, oh Lord, my strength, you are my rock, my salvation. If you're anxious, in Philippians, Paul just says, he repeats these words of Jesus, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but give it to the Lord in prayer and petition. In depress, if you're depressed, Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold in my life. And if you need direction, another psalm, He is continually with you in Psalm 73. He is your counsel and He is near you. I'm telling you what, there are thousands, well, let's say a lot of promises that this book promises to you when you're in that distressed time. And so my homework for you today is not only do I want you to remember those two things, sit and pray and lean on the truth, but I want you to go home and find some quiet time and look up these promises. And here's the easy part. If you've got access to Google, you could put Google me. I want promises of God and that'll begin your journey. And it could be kind of your little go-to booklet that when you're facing these times of stress, when emotions are colliding with reason, reason will rule the day. I mentioned that I'm speaking to Christians right now because we know this is true. We know that when Jesus said, I am the way, the true, and the life, 
we know he meant it, and we take it to the bank. But there's those of you here that may not believe that. There's those of you who have never said, I believe in this Jesus that you're talking about. And the world would tell you, put your faith and trust in something completely outside of this book. And really what it comes down to is put your faith and trust in yourself and your ability to fix situations and your ability to right the ship. Maybe it's, it's money. You could go get a new job and make uh, more money. Maybe it's uh, uh, decisions that you're making that are morals, uh, perhaps, and, and culture has this great way of shifting sands on what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And yet when you face these times of when uh, emotion collides with reason and you're not holding on to, as Psalm says, the rock, the anchor, and you're holding on to something that's shifting or continuing to move, that's why we have shows like Dr. Phil, who after you've tried that, you've tried that, you've tried that, and he says that great line, how's that working out for you? It's until you place your faith and trust in Jesus and you believe that this is truth. You have to ask yourself a question, what is truth? What is it that I believe in? And maybe today is a day in which you're now going to begin that journey to find out the truth because you have to find out for yourself. We can share it, we can teach it, we can point you back to it, but what's so cool for me, again, I didn't have to go to the Holy Land to believe. I already believed before I got there. But I'll tell you what, when I go back and read about things that I now see that are 2,000, 3,000 years old that haven't changed, I'm going, that's a fairly solid rock to be holding on to. But I'm telling you, you don't have to go there in order to believe it. It's all written here. So what are you going to do when you get out of here? Because what's going to happen is um, someone's going to want to watch a TV show and the Masters is on. That's what's going to happen at my house. We have one TV. I try to explain to my family the Masters only happens once a year. I don't want to TiVo it because it's going to be all on the news. I said, I want to watch the Masters and... My kids or my wife or when I get together and say, we want to watch the Waltons. And there will be a tense moment in our house. And so what is that moment going to look like for you when you walk out of here? Or maybe it's tomorrow when you go to work. Or maybe it's you fill in the blank. When emotion meets and collides with reason, when what you feel doesn't naturally match up with what you know, what are you going to do? And so my hope and my prayer for you is that you would follow in the steps of Jesus, that he went to this garden, that he it revealed his humanity to us, something that we can identify with, and ask the Lord to provide that truth for you. And like me driving over here, it's like that passage just came to mind. I hadn't read that passage recently. I hadn't dreamed about it. It was just, how beautiful are the feet? who preached the good news. And that encouraged the daylights out of me to be able to stand in front of you today. So if this is a day in which you say, I'm a believer and I needed this, I'm glad. And I hope you walk away reminded of just these two simple truths. But if today's a day in which you're still not settled, you don't have that peace, and when you go to hold on to something, when the storms hit you, I'd love to talk to you more about that. 
I'd love to have you join up with one of the groups that we have on campus here in order to investigate for yourself what is truth. What is it that I'm holding on to when emotions collide with reason? Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this precious time we have as family. I'm thankful that we have a day that's set apart from the rest, that uh, we can put away the distractions, the worries, the fears, the, uh, those things that separate us from you, and we have this moment where we can uh, just see into your soul as you expose the things that are in our soul. And so, Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that it's never changed. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that it's active. We thank you as we saw today in Brittany and Clay and Raymond that it's still changing lives today. And Lord, we give you all the praise for it. Lord, prepare our hearts for this week as we begin to meditate on the work that was done on the cross and the joyous morning of seeing the stone rolled away and knowing that the tomb was empty. Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts for that. Lord, we do give you all the praise here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let love be genuine and hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And what is good is you, God is still changing lives. And here's the deal. There's nothing too messy. There's nothing too trivial. There's nothing too hard that God can't repair for you. And so I encourage you to lean into him and he will reveal that truth to you. I'd love to see you on Friday night, 6 p.m. We have Good Friday service. That promises to be a very meaningful time. And I really encourage you to invite someone to Easter. It's a, it's a great open door that we have to allow people to come to church. And so bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you Friday.